Nobody cares than you. One, two. Stony Island Audio. What up? Good afternoon, good day, good whatever time it is you're checking into this. This is Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Secret Skin. This is my one-off interview show, unless unless I'm interviewing myself or having other people interview me, in which case it can be multi-parts. Um, basically, there's no rules here. I shouldn't even call it a one-off podcast anymore. Who knows what this might turn into next episode? Who knows when this is going to stop altogether? This episode features an interview with the legendary Brother Ali. I met Brother Ali. Whew, I couldn't even tell you when I met him. That's the wild thing about this, this kind of indie rap loose framework system of artists is that you run into each other a bunch of places over the years you start to form relationships i would say um me and ali really started to connect when me and video day went on tour with him um it was at the beginning of 2020 actually him and i went on tour and in what was supposed to be the break from our tour before we picked up the second leg of it um little thing called covid hit and uh we all parted ways and uh since then ali's made a lot of changes in his life which we'll be covering here in the interview and also this week i'm on his podcast that's one of the things that changed in his life he now has a podcast it's called the travelers and uh this week he's on my podcast and i'm on his so if you enjoy the energy of me and him sitting in conversation and make sure you check out the Travelers podcast. Oh, 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 oh. I get excited sometimes when I hear that, that sample in the back. Um, ways to support the show. You can support the show by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash open Mike Eagle. Um, there's lots of behind the scenes stuff that we have that goes there and there only. In fact, there's an entire podcast called the Hella Personal Podcast that is made by user generated by user generated questions over at Patreon. And that podcast is posted exclusively there. So if you ever want to ask me something and would like to hear me uh, answer it on the microphone, kind of how I'm talking right now, that's the best place to do it. Also, um, the ads that run on these podcasts feature a lot of codes for users and listeners of this show. Uh, if you want to support the show, please use those and also uh, rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on. If you dig it and show your friends if they're into these artistic conversations with folks like the one you're about to listen to with myself and brother Ali. I'm Open Mike Eagle. This is Secret Skin. Until... It is not. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What up, man? Here we are. Am I the first person that ever like straight begged you to be on the show? Or is there have there been others? Uh, I wouldn't call what you politely asked. I wouldn't call it uh, begging at all. And you know, I always had in the back of my mind what we were going to chat on here anyway. I have like this long mental list of, of of people who I want to talk to, you know, when the stars align, like what happened here, those people reach out to me before I get a chance to reach out to them. And it's perfect. Brother, 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 brother. I haven't seen you since we were together right before the pandemic started. Right when the world ended, we were in a van together. We left Washington like a day after the first reported COVID case in America. We were supposed to be on a break on the leg of your tour. And uh, that break ended up going on for two years. 
It's been it's been quite the journey. Yeah, man. and and a lot's changed for you in the meantime. It's, it it seems you know at least one really big change is you have you've moved far because you were you were in Minneapolis. Now you're far away from Minneapolis. Do people know where you are? It's not a secret. Yeah, I mean I talk about it. Um, so my wife and I are both converts to Islam, and um, maybe about five or six years ago, she came on one of these trips that you can do that they call them. They're like intensive study trips for people who, you know, are in a stage of life where they're not able to go study Islam for four years or something like that, but want to really learn and want to have a solid rooting and foundation in a religion. So it's really good for people who live in the West, for people who convert to Islam, for people who are coming back to Islam after maybe not having practiced. And you go to a Muslim culture or country, and you're there for a month or six weeks or something like that with all of these great English-speaking teachers. And over that time, they just bombard you with more than you can possibly take in. And you try your best to grasp and materialize them at whatever or, and metabolize whatever you can. And so she came to Istanbul and in another city called Konya, where the great poet Rumi is buried. And when she came back, she just announced that someday we were going to live in Turkey, in Istanbul. I'm like, all right, I feel that, you know. But I had never, I hadn't been here yet. And then we had a number of friends move here, so I started, like when we would go to Europe, like I'd do a European tour, it's easy to hop over to Istanbul. So I started doing that, and I immediately like fell in love with this place. And so then when the pandemic happened, it just seemed like, man, everything is shut down. My wife's a therapist, and she was doing her work online anyway. And our shows were shut down. There was no money coming in. The Turkish lira is, when we moved here, it was like one to seven. It was seven to one. So like one dollar is seven lira. Now it's 18. So, I mean, we live in this, we live in a place that's like, I can't, I don't think you ever came to our house in Minneapolis, but we like live in a place now that's newer and bigger and just, you know, and it's a third of the price of our crib in Minnesota. And we just, it just took all the financial pressure off. Also, man, Minneapolis did not feel like a community by the time that we made the decision to leave. There was just a lot of really just unfortunate, um, I would say, byproducts of the pandemic and the uprising and the, you know, there was a, um, the situation online, man, where, where, you know, people being suspicious of each other and accusing each other of things and airing their grievances and personal stuff and some, you know, really horrible things that had happened. And it just really created this this space where, particularly in the arts community, you know, people were just uh, dissociating from each other. And it just really felt like a, like a breakdown in the feeling of community there. And so I just, I started really feeling like this is an opportunity for me to see who I am apart from these situations that I've been in or these spaces that I've been in. And to really take it as an opportunity that like, okay, it, it really feels like I can, I can get a sense of who I am without these cocoons that I've been in for so long. And so we left and at the same time, I decided to running my own business, handling my business myself, you know, whereas Rhyme Sayers had been the record label, the management team, the publicist, the everything, you know, and it just kind of like grew out of a network of friends that were also artists trying to figure out how to support each other. And then, you know, grew into a record label and grew into a company that threw a big festival and, you know, had all of the, a record store and all of these different endeavors. And so I just realized like, man, this, this is a good time for me to just step out on my own. So I started managing my own career, started releasing music under my own moniker, came to Istanbul. So I just, I really took it as an opportunity. It's like, there's no other way for me to really see it, you know? So I, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. That's beautiful. There's a lot in that answer to follow up on. I want to have a larger conversation about like rap music, specifically like independent rap music and you being such an accomplished artist within it. And it's always changing so much. So I'm just really curious of like how you see it and how you see yourself in it. But in what you just said, I mean, so there's the act of, of you know, moving across the world and taking your family and, and uprooting them. And there's so many challenges foreseen and unforeseen in that but particularly when it comes to being an independent rapper in this constantly shifting environment in a situation where you're fortunate in some senses because there is a lot of support structure around you like what were your feelings around leaving all of that support and structure behind 
and taking on those responsibilities for yourself? It felt like a natural growth, the same way that we, you know, we grow up in the homes of our parents or grandparents or aunties or whoever's raising us. And it's it's very helpful and it's really beautiful and they're they're there for us when we need them. And then we start wonder then then we start having some of our own feelings. <laughs> like, well, but why do we do this like this? Well, how can we do that like that? How could we do that like that? And then you just start getting the feeling that like, I love these people and they love me. Some of these questions mean that maybe it's time for me to see what it would look like if I if I took some of this stuff on for myself. And so, you know, I, I just felt that way and so across the board. And I really took it as an opportunity to to take a different look at myself and and what my voice could be and what my platform could look like. You know, a lot of the things that I think I might be helpful doing or what I feel like I might be able to offer isn't only, you know, putting out underground hip hop records. And so th- those were things that that I see. And I started to have my own vision for what I want this to look like. And, you know, and then also having that time, like I've been a public person my entire adult life. Like I was an imam of a mosque before I started touring and I taught a kindergarten class and, you know, and then I've been on tour for 20 years. And I've like, I'm on stage either rap, like performing or speaking or something like that all the time. And so I just got an opportunity that like, man, this is a really good time for me to just, to put all of this energy into understanding myself better and really leaning into the, it's like, you know, look, looking at seclusion as an opportunity to like, you know, it just feels like I'm, I'm being given the chance to, to really figure out who I am if I'm not on stage in front of other people. Like, who am I if I'm not part of living in this particular city or part of this particular organizing activist community or part of this particular, you know, group of artists that support each other, you know? And not that I would ever not be those things. Like, I still am all those things. But just really allowing, giving myself permission to, to just branch out and, and, and see what it would be like for me to create my own space for that. And I think a lot of people did that in the pandemic. I think a lot of people were like, okay, when it's time to reemerge, I have the chance to reimagine that now and to really understand, hopefully understand myself better and understand what I would like th- this next portion or this next chapter to look like. And even if I don't know exactly what that is, I know that I would like the opportunity to to shape it and create it for myself. What are some of the kinds of things you've discovered now that you're in a position to experience so much more outside of the city, outside of Rhyme Sayers, outside of even just being seen publicly as a rapper? What are some of the discoveries that you've made? A lot, man. I also, you know, took this opportunity to like really do therapy for real. <laughs> Which is like... I'm really surprised that you hadn't. I'm I'm really surprised that you hadn't done that. I mean, considering who your partner is or considering who you are even in the community, like you've been a person that people go to to talk things out. It's it's kind of surprising that you hadn't done that yourself. Yeah, you know, I've 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 dabbled. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've definitely it's it's not that I've never sat in that chair before, but really really fully committing to like this isn't going to be therapy with me and my son. This isn't going to be, you know, me um sitting with certain therapists for certain. This is just really going to be about me. You know, I think that what I learned about myself that I didn't know is how much I was still looking for validation from other people, how little I believed in my own like deservingness, my own like self-worth. It's, and, it, and it's crazy because, you know, we have these things that can fill in for that, that can stand in for that. You know what I mean? So like, well, I can write a song about feeling good about my body, you know, Forrest Whitaker, and then I can stand up and everybody sings along. Got to be my friend tonight. You sound good. I'ma be okay. You would probably bore me anyway. Say it. Do a little bit louder though. I'ma be all right. You ain't got to be my friend. Sing it out. Sound really good. I'ma be okay. You would probably. And so this means that. I have healed all these things about <laughs> all this trauma of, of like growing up a fat albino kid that's legally blind and then this kind of like rejection or abandonment from my family and like who was supposed to be my community or feeling that way. Like, I, you know, whether that was their intention or not, what felt clear to me is that like my family doesn't really have much need for me and these white people don't either. And so the love that I got was from other people. The love that I got was from Black people. The, the, or at least that's the way it felt to me. And so 
if you don't really give that the, its due and give that its time, that can develop a, a sense of, of always looking for validation, which is great when you have to prove yourself on stage. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it really it is like- Makes you work for it. Yeah. And, and I was able to do it night after night after night, opening for Rakim. You know, it's like these people came to see Rakim. And then they hear that somebody named Brother Ali is going to open, and then this walks out. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, man, you better get to, you better get to him, and you better start impressing everybody very fast. And then I did the same thing with Doom. I did the same thing with Wu Tang. I did the same thing with uh, Brand Nubian. You know, like I was like, it, it was pretty real. Like it was, you know, it's very different than having to prove myself to an atmosphere audience. But I was doing all of those things, and you know, and then also the spiritual path is something that we, and, and, you know, religion and a spiritual practice, like we have to be careful too, because a lot of times the awareness of these realities or, or having a language to understand them and having practices and things like that, there's still a lot that can, that we can miss, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I definitely like, I'm a person that people come and talk to and, and, and there's a certain level of self-exploration that I'm, that I'm totally happy to do in music and be vulnerable to the degree that I can be. But being on stage and in front of people and and always being in output mode, you know, always externalizing things like, you know, even writing songs and then performing them is is very different than work that I'm doing that does not that like I'm just doing this for myself. This isn't to be able to deliver songs to other people so that they can say, see, like, see how sad I am, see how hurt I was, see how good at this I am, see how mad I am, see how much I care, see how, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there, it, none of that will be part of, of this chapter. Like, this is just going to be me doing this for me. That's a beautiful thing. It is. It's also very difficult. Oh, yeah. There's also a thousand deaths that have to come before, after, during. Is it a lot of ego deaths? A lot of ego death, a lot of um, uh, death of the things that we come to rely on, the things that we think we need, the things that we take for granted. Also, the simplistic view of self. Like I've always had this very simplistic view of myself that like, look at all these things that I give to other people because of how good I am. And it, it, it's, 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 it's not always, it, it wasn't easy to wrestle with the fact that like, Yes, I'm, I'm very giving and all that stuff, but also it's not as simple as all that, and there's layers of complexity there. You know what I mean? Seeking validation. Okay, yeah. So you've you've really started digging in, man. You you breaking ground, <laughs> which is amazing, and I look forward to you know seeing and hearing all the discoveries that you make. So you know you've mentioned in this chapter that you're getting out of just seeing your output or your your worth in the world as measured by rap music and trying to find some other ways to express yourself and your creativity. I'm curious about your relationship to rap music as a listener this far in. I'm 100% We've never had a conversation about it, but I'm very sure that like rap music, when you found it as when I found it, it was very exciting for you. Like, you know, enough to put your whole life force into it for the next couple of decades. What's your relationship to it now? Do you listen to a lot of new rap, even from people who you're already a fan of? Is it still exciting for you? I mean, first of all, like, yes, like, you know, I discovered my friend group, the kind of like my chosen family or like my adopted community at maybe like six, seven years old. And so I'm like, man, these people are amazing. Like their their grandparents are amazing. Their big brothers are amazing. You know, they're like, this is amazing. And and America, like I had a real sense, even as a little kid, that like America is lying about black people. I couldn't even like necessarily put words to it, but you know, so when when hip hop, when I really like when hip hop became part of my life, I was like, okay, this is the answer. Now everybody's gonna see that like all of the complexity and all of the how funny and how joyful and how sad and how angry and just like how completely human the first people in the world are, the original people are and remain, you know? And like, we're all gonna, like I basically learned how to live in America as it is, in the world as it is, in my body as it is, because of all of the lived experience and wisdom and spirituality and art and framing, framework and language and all that stuff of what black people have done. And I think everybody is doing that. I think everybody is surviving the world as it is, you know, especially w w with regard to like the world of meaning. Everyone's doing that, whether they're like biting the dances on TikTok 
or studying whatever. It's like the people that America, white supremacy or whatever has given the most abuse have like shown everybody how to be human through all of that, you know? So I, I was like, okay, hip hop is going to be, it seems like hip hop like got through, like cut through the clutches that normally come. So, you know, by the time rock and roll reached white ears, they had already replaced the original voices with, you know, white versions of it. Whereas like with hip hop, it's like, it's too late. It's too late. Heavy D is already there. NWA is already there. Public Enemy is already there. Slick Rick's already there. Queen Latifah is already there. It's too late. Miss Melody is already there. Too late. Like th those people were kind of like my, my superheroes at that time. And I don't know if I necessarily see it that way now, but I still, there, there's still music that that does really excite me. And there's music that makes me feel like a fan sometimes. I'm always really grateful when it happens. But also there, there's just really amazing artists. The overall level of, like just people starting level now is incredible. Like man, Navy Blue is like, I mean, he's, a, he's amazing, amazing. Spent time sitting in it both times I was swimming, keep still, don't budge My heart's still, my life ain't like no movie script This shit is non-fiction, practice non-violence That's a bold decision You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think your work is amazing And you're still making your best work Like, you, you know, your last two albums are my two favorite albums of yours And all of my friends, most of my dearest friends Like, you know, me talking to Feral Munch And like... Eminem's great, but what most people say about Pharaoh Mach, that's what, or what most people say about Eminem, that's what I actually feel about Pharaoh. And what most people think about Kendrick, I also feel that way about Kendrick. But I'm like, man, I wish these people had a chance to hear Mike Eagle. We'll, we'll talk about this when I'm, when I'm asking you questions, but like Brick Body Kids and Good Kid Mad City, you know, and the newest one that he put out. Yeah. It, you know I, what I'm honestly, saying? Honestly, it, it becomes really tough for me to navigate when it comes to my relationship to his music specifically. Because by every metric, he's incredible. But I do think uh, we attempt to engage in a lot of the same conversations with music. I think him and I do. When he releases music, it can put me into miniature existential crises because, like, I am I because he 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 fills up the room. You know what I'm saying? And he and, and in a lot of ways, he publicly defines what it means to be a progressive rapper having these conversations. So I often have to like pinch myself to see if I still exist <laughs> in those moments. It can, it can be tough for me to for me to navigate, honestly. In case it's helpful to, for somebody to say this to you, you're not imagining that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I do appreciate that. But it, it took me a while to even get to the words to be able to verbalize it though, because there's other ways I could say it that would just make me sound like a hater. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like to to try to find a way where like, oh no, like I, I do believe that I am doing a valid version of this as well, but I'm doing it on a lot lower of a budget. And and honestly, his skill set I think is a lot more developed than mine in terms of craft. But it's been a journey for me to also for me to be able to live in the value that I provide and also understand the value and impact and what he does, and for me to like not feel like every time he drops something, I have to uh, remind people that I exist. Yeah, you know that that's that 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 um, age old like ever since there's been an entertainment industry that's fueled by genius, that's fueled by black genius. There's been like others making decisions about where the spotlight will be, where the recognition will be, who's going to break through, and who's going to remain, you know, great in the shadows. It's crazy that like, you know, Black Thought is t trending on Twitter and like Black Thought has been Black Thought for 25 years and he's been Black Thought on the biggest late night TV show, like the most iconic television show that's on TV, the most long standing, like every day he's standing there being one of the flyest people in public American life. You know what I'm saying? Just, I mean, best dressed, got to, you know what I'm saying? Everything about him, poised and, you know, smart and funny and charismatic and, you know, all of the above. And for people to just now start to realize, like, oh, maybe Black Thought's one of the best. But look, this is the thing. They're having that conversation now and they're giving him that, but they're going to forget again. We'll be, they'll be having that same conversation, uh, hopefully, if we're all still around in two or three years, it's, it's going to come around again. When he releases a body of work, it reminds people. But like you say, there's a lot of machinery involved in who are the focal points in the grand conversation around entertainment. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. And 
you know, I don't think Black Thought's ever been the person who's, you know, been in a position where all that machine gets behind him. I don't think that's ever been the case. And he's, you know, like you say, he's he's part of the part of one of the most iconic television shows around, but that the machinery of that show is around Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> you know, it's not around pushing black thought into our consciousness. So I think, you know, um and I was I was talking to, you know, a couple of my good friends about this yesterday. Like black thought is one of them people who has the curse of being too perfect. I think that actually makes it where a lot of his work, it's harder for it to resonate with people because it doesn't feel human for a lot of people. Like it's it's like it's like watching a brilliant machine at work and there's not like flaws for somebody to be like, oh, he's reaching for something. It's like, no, he's got it. He's been incredible, like you said, for 25 years and he's this is another demonstration of his incredibleness. But I think for some people it goes right over their heads. Like it's it's no there's no access points to him for them. Uh I'm sorry for your loss. There's somebody dead in the car and it's probably one of yours. The writing all across the window in the walls. Whether it was true or false, we shouldn't have got involved. Remember, we walked past the teacher, take the chalk and yeah. laugh. And, and there's no moment for you to, to like mentally relax for a second and just kind of let a few bars wash over you. Like it's, it's literally every single bar, uh, like literally every single thing that's being said is... It's amazing. Profound and, <laughs> profound and perfectly crafted and perfectly delivered. I never thought you'd give me a reason to do this. Cain and Abel, Jesus and Judas, Caesar and Brutus. I see intruders, avert your eyes. I you know, uh, but I'm saying, you know, and it just shows it's like, it's not that the world hasn't had the opportunity to engage. Like, it, it's, it's the exact same greatness. Like, he's probably spit most of those verses on the show. You know, but, like, those have been right there the entire time. It's 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 very very strange, and I don't know. I don't think that I'll ever understand that part. I don't think I'll ever understand, you know, how, how certain things become um, part of, like ubiquitous on the grand, like in the zeitgeist or whatever, and that the majority of greatness. But I do know that for almost almost, it's very rare. Every now and then, there's a rare, you know, every now and then there's a Stevie Wonder. Where it's like he's the most famous and he is genuinely the best. But most of the time, when there's somebody who's really known for something, there's someone who's less known than that, that is a huge <laughs> source of inspiration. Or, you know, are they doing some version of that that's more that that's more organic? And because of that, it might not be as polished and it might not be as presentable. You know, like I I feel like Kendrick definitely has like an awareness that. When I speak, I'm speaking to and on behalf of the culture. I make grand statements. So by the time this stuff gets out, it's, it should probably be at grand statement level. Whereas like in your music, it feels like you're in the laboratory. Like when I listen to your music, it feels like I'm in the laboratory. Like you are working, like you're showing your work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. A hundred percent. I tend to be working in a space where you see me in conversation with myself trying to figure it out rather than having an answer. Like your process is processing. Like you're, you're processing in real time. You're not just giving the outcome. You very rarely give the outcome. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's very rarely like, this is what I've arrived at and this is the ultimate truth. Bow. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of folks write like that. Like I think I write like that a lot of times. Like a lot of times I process on my own and then when I'm ready to share the results, you know what I'm saying? That's what I do. I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that so much of your skills were home freestyling. I do think that's a part of it. I think my writing is informed by working to get to a place. And my writing is informed by points that I know I want to make in a conversation, but not that I know where exactly where I want the conversation to lead. But I think in another sense, it's informed by a lot of the authors that I've read that informed the way I think about things. This one guy in particular named Robert Anton Wilson, I read a lot of his books and he turned me on to a lot of other authors and something that I arrived at in the process of, of, of digesting him was like, I don't have a great relationship with the idea of objectivity. I think that the most interesting things for my enjoyment in terms of being a consumer and in, that informs also me as a creator come from making things as subjective as possible. So for me to arrive at, at some grand statement of truth feels nearly impossible to me because that's 
I think there's a truth, but that truth tends to arrive at at a stitched together version of a bunch of different truths. So, you know, for me, it's about trying to explore the stitches and stuff in between. And, and I mean, and that that also speaks to me and a lot of just, you know, in, in observation, like so much of your like foundation has not only been in freestyling, but it's in community. What's the name of the lighthouse spot in uh, Chicago by the water? Promontory Point. Yeah. You know, like I, I hear you, like you and like Ryan Fest telling, talking about being in that space, and I'm saying like you're with, you're among some of the greatest freestylers that ever lived. I mean, like if you could say like you know for off the head, rhyming, like the two best cities that are known for that. I would say Minneapolis is in there, but in terms of like off the head, New York isn't particularly known for coming off the top of the head, whereas Chicago and L.A. are both like you know, hotspots. And then, you know, you're directly related not only to those individuals, but those communities. So there's like a very like communal process that's like, we're all going to, to to birth this thing together in the moment every day. That's super real. Speaking of community though, I did want to pivot because like I was saying earlier, I want to get an idea of where you see yourself in this miasma of rap. Like, I live firmly in the independent space. I don't know if you see yourself that way. Because even the definition of those terms seem to change a lot. And I'm just curious of, do you feel like you're a part of any independent rap scene? And I would just love to just go exploring from there. Yeah, so there's a time when, I mean, you know, just to be fully honest, when I first discovered the scene that I think I was initially part of, and like when I, when I made my, like, entrance... It was in a scene that I wasn't super happy about. And I, do, I, I wasn't sure how to navigate. I didn't feel comfortable in, and I didn't feel great about it. So it was like in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and I didn't even know that it existed nationally until I went on tour. So when I made Shadows on the Sun, I didn't really realize, I hadn't really put together in my mind that there was this scene emerging of uh, a lot of white kids that really grew up at least with some very real physical proximity to and participation in hip hop culture, you know, like a lot of like the only white guy in the room now coming of age and some of them actually being like objectively, like undeniably ill and unique and like having found some version of like their own voice. So like, I mean, there's like Aesop Rock is undeniable. You know what I mean? I would say Aesop Rock is one of those people that like, yeah, he's an underground superstar, but I'm saying, I wonder how many people that love Eminem know about Aesop Rock. You know what I'm saying? Because the skill level and then also his depth and, you know, his also showing you like the process and what's going on in him. And, you know, LP, I would I would say is one of those people. Uh, atmosphere are not white, but people see them as white. And so they're kind of like, okay, fine. If we're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're not going to do what Logic did. Like Logic is like, I am black. I am <laughs> black. You know what I'm saying? And I get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Atmosphere is just like, fine, whatever. But they were definitely lumped in that. And and I mean, and, and Sage Francis and, you know, and the Grouch and Eli and like all of these people just start coming up. But I didn't realize that, the, and, and copyright and uh, so many other people, but I didn't realize that there was like a growing movement of of this stuff where most of the artists are white, most of the fans are white. If I had the chance to like sign up for something, that's not what I would have signed up for. My relationship with that has changed over the years, uh, and I've started to see that there that there's something that there is something very. First of all, I've come to just love those pe- a lot of these people. Some of them I don't know like that. But I, when I, you say these I, people, you mean these artists that you're mentioning? The artists or? and the fans. Gotcha. Yeah, the artists and the listeners. But yeah, you know, like when I first started out, I was, I just, I didn't understand Sage Francis. I didn't understand, like, why are you here and why do you have a wig on mm-hmm. and a Megadeth t shirt? And like, who asked you to come in hip hop like this? And like, I didn't understand it. I was also intimidated by uh, white people in general in terms of like their book smartness. It felt like these were all like a bunch of white people that read a bunch of books and watched a bunch of art house movies that I didn't know about. And I just was like, man, these guys all, these guys are all, all think they're smarter than me. Like these are all book smart white boys that, and, and I'll just, I don't like this. You know, I didn't like it. And, and I never would have signed up for that, you know? And so I was like operating in two spaces at the same time where like half of the time I'd be on tour with Atmosphere and the other half of the time I'd be on tour with 
MF Doom and and Rakim and Ghostface and you know that world was embracing me at least especially the artists like that world was saying like no you belong here too some way more than like Rakim took me on multiple tours and I was like on his tour bus and he would have me come out and he you know same thing with Chuck D and um man I mean Lord Jamar is one of the most <laughs> for, for all his talk of like you know Lord Jamar is has always been extremely I remember when, when there was that controversy about him saying white people are guests in the house of hip-hop I remember and people were just going in on him and I remember he tweeted he was like just for the record I want everybody to know I publicly fuck with brother Ali <laughs> you know what I mean and, and uh so I, I was like existing in two spaces and you know, for me to, but but one of them I had to fight for it in the in the Rakim world in the in the you know, Sean Price world I had to fight for it. Whereas in the atmosphere world, it was like you are the person we've always been waiting for. Like for listeners, we've always been waiting for you. You know, and so I think like I just kind of got swept up in the inertia of all of that. And then over time, I started seeing it very, very differently. I started, you know, feeling, I started having a genuine affinity. And then also feeling like so much of what I've learned over the years has been for me to share in this space. And I remember hearing Black Thought say, like, the Roots were doing their thing for a long time. And then we got to the area of, like, OK Player, Soul Quarians, the Uma, you know. And then there was, like, a movement for us, to, for, the, for the Roots to be part of. Where, like, Bilal and Badu and Common. And so he's like, now we had a context for people to understand us within. I think that when there was that thing, when there was this kind of underground, independent, uh, Def Jux living legends, Rhyme Sayers, perhaps we put Tech 9 in there, when that was a very, very solid movement, I think that it was really beneficial to be in a context at all. And now I don't feel like that exists the way that it did. And so now I feel like I'm just completely on my own. I don't know who, I don't know who I'm associated with. Like I, I look on, the, on Spotify, people that like this also listen to this. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's fascinating to me. And that's exactly like the thing I'm super curious about because you were in that underground backpacker movement that that happened, like, you know, and, you know, all waves like that, they come and go, right? Like all, you know, every moment like that has a natural arc and you've managed to outlive that. But it was important. It, I, I think it's always important to have a context. I think that's what I often feel like I am missing, even though, like, I can look around and see that there are some associations that make sense. It's like, I feel like my entire career, I've spent trying to figure out what to call us. That's why I used to say art rap a lot. And now I'm like still trying to figure out like, what is it now? So it's 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 interesting for you to feel like you're like a free roaming agent now, where in some senses with 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 this freedom, especially separating yourself from the the, the easy association of rhyme sayers, like you have more opportunity than ever to define your own associations, and I and I'd be curious. Like, I mean, you're just saying you don't you don't know, but I just think that you have a very interesting opportunity. It feels like because you still have a active fan base, you still have the passion to make music and put it out, and you still have a you have a lot of relationships. Not only in that movement we talked about, but like you said, in the other side, where like classic MCs, traditional legends. I don't know. So it it seems to me like you're in a very interesting place. Yeah, and and you know, just for the record, so I've I've never done anything to I've never even spoken about the fact that like I manage my own career now. I never made an announcement. I never I've never said it. I've never talked about it. It's not about separation. You know what I mean? It's not about me wanting to separate from anything or anyone. It's just like th this is where my growth is taking me. To me, the so rhyme series is a lot of things and one of the things about it that made it challenging to navigate for me is that it's been so organic and it's like grown in this really kind of like unplanned way. You know what I mean? So when I when I first came around Rhyme Sayers, I wasn't there at the founding of Rhyme Sayers. I became aware of them and they were already fully functioning. And they were really inspirational to me. And it was a, it was called Rhyme Sayers Collective. And it was just like a collective of artists that were on the same page, that worked together, they rolled together, they did shows together. You know, they, they took the little hundred bucks that if Musab played a show and they paid him 200 bucks or something, it just went back into the movement. You know, they put out a Beyond CD, Musab, we put out his CD, 
and we sell some tapes and then we take that money. Like Musab's not getting a check for that. It's just like we take that money and we put it out so now we could put out an Atmosphere album. And then we do that and then we do that enough times and now we can open a record store where we can not only sell our records and make this a hub for us, but also for the community. Like anybody can come in here and sell their stuff. And like we can have open mics and teach people like create community and create space for people and you know and but that ended up growing into you know a much bigger thing a much bigger you know it a, a record a, a traditional a more traditional record label um and like we didn't have a word for a 360 deal it was just like artists need this and this and this and this and we're going to try to do all of that for them you know so rhyme series really to me there's it's like there's the music and the like the meaning of what that music is and those relationships and the love between people. And then there's like an operational business reality of like a, you know what I mean? And so to me, the music and the heart of what that is and the relationships, there is no distance. And I, I will forever be part of that. And that will forever be part of me. You know, it's just like the, the operations of conducting business and all of that stuff. That was the part that I was like, you know what? I don't want to criticize this. I don't want to be frustrated about what what expectations that I have. And I don't, you know what I mean? Like, this is a thing that was created, that wasn't created for me. It was created for a group of people with an idea. And things shift, you know what I'm saying? And like, so, but, you know, but I don't own a part of it. You know, I don't own that thing. And like, I don't... Um, have a position at that thing. I'm one of the artists. And so it's it's really not about distancing. It's just really more about... And then also, we never had a contract. There, there was nothing ever saying, like, you have to put your music out here and, like, we have to... Man so, I mean, the, the, it wasn't even... It was just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to try doing... I'm going to try doing this by myself. I'm going to try doing this on my own. You know what I mean? And then a beautiful transition into doing that. Just so like, okay, what do you need? That's dope. I mean, that association is always going to be there. Just like even when I speak of your association to that moment that happened, that, that underground wave, like that association is always going to be there. What I think is really interesting to me, like, because there's different people that have been on Rhyme Sayers, a part of Rhyme Sayers, that they don't continue to be active in the same way that you are. You know, whether whether that has anything to do with Rhyme Sayers or not. I'm just, or, or, and there's there's plenty of people who were in that underground wave that aren't active anymore. And I just think you have an interesting opportunity to decide how you want to be defined. And I guess we all have that, but we don't all have the experience, the fan base, the relationships. And and now, you know, you've you've started a platform where you get to even further your own narrative and you know, in whichever way you choose. And I I always celebrate that. Like I, I celebrate longevity in this because it's so hard. The difficulty of it means that people get spit out of it left and right all the time. Like you turn the wrong corner and it can chew you up. Uh, you can lose all of your love for this. So I don't know. I just, I think, I think it's kind of beautiful. And one thing I'm curious about just with, in terms of your experience with Rhyme Sayers is what, if anything, you think gave them like staying power, like they're an institution in hip hop. Like, what do you think gave them the staying power to outlast a lot of the movements that were around them? I usually tend to give a lot of the credit to atmosphere. I don't think that the full context of atmosphere is really known and is really understood and is really appreciated for as much as atmosphere, you know, can still go out and rock huge shows. So it's like, yeah, they're successful. But atmosphere's dedication, especially Slug, to always making what he's doing both about himself individually, but also opening the door for other people. You know what I mean? And, and that I think is has a lot to do with, you know, like Slug comes from the culture. And I don't only mean that he was around a lot of rap music. I mean that Slug's family is black and like, and native and native, like First Nation. So, I mean, I think that, um, I think that he is somebody that's always made sure that every win for him is an opportunity for others. And, you know, I think his dedication both to what he does and also, also making sure that that remains the case is a big part of it. And it's just a lot of like really, truly dedicated, well-intentioned human beings that are doing their best to do things well and to do things with the, for the right reasons in whatever that means to them. You know, that, that's always what I thought gave it its, its real strength and the, and the bonds between those, those people, you know. But it's hard to say, you know what I mean? It's hard to really know. You know, it's hard to really know like why why some things work and other things don't, why some people have longevity, others don't. 
It's it's hard to say, and it's especially hard to say when you're that person. I think it's 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 really tempting to say, like, you know, my ego would like to be like, well, I was never young. <laughs> so as I age, so I'm probably going to age well. You know what I'm saying? Like I came into this thing as an already an old man. <laughs> Fully formed. Yeah, well, just like old. Like I'm kind of an old person. I've kind of always been an old person. And so like when my friends were running around having fun, I was always, <laughs> I was already an imam. You know what I'm saying? Like when I, on my first tour, I was an imam. Just like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the way that we should be, you know what I'm saying? Not that I didn't do dumb stuff. I, I certainly did. Not that I didn't lose my mind. I certainly did. But like I, I already came in, you know, thinking like, I want to make music that plays next to Muddy Waters. I want to make music that plays next to Donny Hathaway. I was already thinking like that. So, but I'm saying that, but that's that's me being like, well, this is why, and I, I don't, I don't think we know. I don't think we know why. Yeah, but I, but I definitely have always felt, have always seen, like f- from the first time I became aware of you, I'm like, man, who are your peers? Not that you don't, not that there aren't individuals, but like, what's the what's the scene that you can? Because it because it it's weird because it feels like you're much younger than us. Not in your, not in who you are as a human being. As a human being, I look up to you tremendously, and so much of what I'm doing right now, I have to say this to you, is that so much of what I'm doing now, I was, I was like kind of incubating some of that stuff when we were on that tour together. Yeah, we had some conversations about some of that stuff. Yeah, you know, and I was really like, man, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm able to offer all the stuff that's going on inside me now, and, you know, and I was frustrated about some things and feeling trapped in, in some things, and like. You know, so I mean, we talked a lot about podcasting. We talked a lot about you know other ways, just looking into other ways that we can have our outlets and stuff. So, but so as a human being and as an actual artist, I've always felt like you're a peer or even in some ways an elder. But in terms of like when you came along, it's like you came along after that thing was kind of done. Even though you're only a few years younger than us, than me, I think I'm only three years older than you. (laughs) I, you know, I I realized looking back that I kind of made a mistake. Well, I can't call it a, I can I can call it a mistake if I'm looking at at it purely from the sense of me having a career. I was in college in Southern Illinois, uh, which is not that far away from Cincinnati, and I would I knew people who would go to Scribble Jam, and I never even considered it, even though I was living that lifestyle everywhere I was. My name is Open Mike because I freestyled everywhere. I hosted all of the open mic events and I rapped at all of them. I did all the battling. Like I was a b-boy. I was a graph artist. I came from that. And like some of my peers who I knew from Chicago would go to Scribble Jam. I was, like I said, I was, I think I was even closer being in Southern Illinois where I was, but like I was so focused on what was in front of me that I didn't understand what I was missing. And when I think back, if it's, 98, 99, 2000, and I go over to Cincinnati, then all of y'all know me a lot earlier. I didn't even have any songs. I, I never wrote, I didn't write music, write rhymes then at all, uh, because I didn't really have a reason to. Like, I didn't rock a show until like 2002 or something like that. But I lived that B-boy culture. I lived that like, you know, I, I lived in these crafts of, 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 of hip hop. Um, it was everything to me. And so my tribe, y'all, was a scribble jam. And I wasn't paying attention. And I think that it all, I think that the the age gap, my my late start, which I do think is real, because I think that by the and I say this to people all the time, by the time I got to the table, there was not a lot of cake left. It was not a lot of bread left on the table by the time I got there. Uh, and I kind of watched uh, a lot of my OG homies here in LA, a lot of the, the my 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 senseis out here. You know, I I watched them eat, and then when it was my turn, the business had changed so much. The place of that kind of hip hop, even in public spirit, was just different. In some ways, I represent like the last sons and daughters of Krypton. Like we were all on the planet and the planet exploded and they put us on all these different rocket ships to send us here. We all know where we come from, but the world doesn't have the same experience of it as we do. And so we're out here, you know, largely feeling like orphans. Yeah, you know, it's weird. Like in a lot of your stuff, it, it feels to me like race is an elephant in the room, like an unnamed elephant in the room. Well. <laughs> I think I know where you're going. 
But I'll let you I'll let you take us there. Well, I mean, just, you know, a lot of black geniuses have had to try to make their living by selling their art to white people. And that's not, I mean, it's not, that, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not not part of, the, of, that, of that equation. Like, it, it, it feels to me like an enormous part of the equation that, you know, like the things that you, so much of what you're saying, like, I just, I, I was so happy, you know, because up until, you know, divorce, anime trauma divorce, my favorite album of yours had been Brick Body Kids. So when you're at, when the new episode came out, where you're being interviewed about that record, I was like, dope. Like I was so excited to hear that conversation. And much props to the to the the guy that interviewed you. He did a great job, and he clearly like your friends, and he knew all sorts of details about the project that I didn't know. He clearly has such a deep reverence. But like you're talking about the Robert Taylor Holmes, and like the whole conversation could have gone by without race ever being mentioned. Like you had to say that Chicago is segregated. And it, it it's it's always one of the things that I've I've just seen with so much of the music that we love, whether it's now or or you know, dating back for generations, is the the like it seems to me like for you to have to say those things explicitly would, would close a lot of doors. You know what I mean? Would just be like nope. And I, I just wonder what that's meant for you. What's your relationship with that and what's it meant for you? You know, it's been complicated because I feel like, and I and I, w- I was talking about this even as early as my first album. Like native tongues resonated with me as a as a very young person. Like hip hop was all around me, in and out the projects. Uh, you know, being out here in L.A. as a kid, sometimes like saw all that gang shit happening. So you got like the real life experience of like an N.W.A. Like there wasn't like Chicago really street hip hop that I was aware of, but like hip hop culture was the 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 air that I breathed. It was just, it was everywhere all around me all the time, like fish and water, like the world that was being talked about on public enemy records. It was right outside my window. And a lot of a lot of times I didn't feel a place in it though. I really didn't until like Native Tongues came along and it was like brothers and sisters who seemed to like each other. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they had a general affinity. Like they liked seeing each other and hanging out and being being goofy in videos and Yeah. I love when you say like we, we hugged. You know what I'm saying? Or, or who could it feel at home? Check. Yeah, we was walking away, repeated all we can say. Depart with the hug, and it's a public display. Like it does in the day, walking, we plugging away, added I'm running away. We hugged. It's a public expression of love, we, and we do it a lot throughout the day. Because we can't always say everything that's going on, but we can hug each other a lot. Like every time, every time we see each other and leave each other, we're hugging. Absolutely. That affinity for one another was very resonant for me. And so in some ways, the spark for me as an artist was lit then. Like I'm like nine years old looking at the Benita Applebaum video or something. I'm like, oh my God, I want to wear them baggy pants and walk with a bop like that, like with a weird beret on or something. Like in some ways, I'm making that music that I would hope would resonate with a young me. But what I wasn't aware of as a kid was that there's the marketing budget at Jive Zamba and they have this slate because now they're they're investing in, in hip hop because they can make some money there. So they're going to have some artists that represent this kind of street hard thing and they have a couple artists that represent this other thing. And there's so much money to be made that they at that time they can afford to have options. As the music pot got smaller for all the variety of reasons that it that that happened, you know, including physical media going away and now budgets are probably smaller than ever. I feel like we watched the machinery divest itself from options in terms of presenting hip hop artists. And so in the course of my career, in the course of my life, I, I, I remember being in college, going to show, going to a daylight show it being full of black people, full of black men and women who knew all the words to every song. I mean, when is the last time that happened in the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I guess at a J. Cole show, they probably, you know, there's probably a lot of black people. At a Kendrick show, there's a lot of black people. But there's a ton of white people too. It's difficult to navigate too, because it's like, I don't want to like be mad at white people who are into my music. I don't, I don't want to demonize them. I don't want to make them feel bad because they genuinely love you they want to understand you they're there because they honor you as a person but what would happen were you to for you to overtly say some of the things some of the truths about about life like what would what would happen if you overtly said some of those things well i feel like i do every now and then i have a song where i say um something like i forgot the exact words i use but um 
I'm trying to reach, yeah, I'm trying to reach black people in a room full of whites. Like, bring a spoon and a knife, making video Dave dish rooms. Now we watching cartoons. Hey, brain, what we doing for the night? Trying to reach black kids in a room full of whites. This is outside. You know, like that is the truth of my existence as an artist. Like a lot of times I feel like I'm speaking from and to black people, but that's not who I'm in front of. It's a tough thing for me to navigate sometimes. In that wave you were talking about, I watched a lot of white rappers get elevated by people who wanted to see somebody who looked like themselves up on that stage. Like it didn't even matter what they were doing. That's what they came for. That's what they wanted to see. And for a person like me, there was no way into that. There was no way into that. You will never be a rapping ass white dude. Like no matter how great you are, you will not be that. Exactly. And that's that's been rough too. Do I want to talk about that to the people who did come to see me? Not really. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I do like, I, I. it's good to be able to talk to you about it. It's good to be able to process it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I've had, you know, many closed door conversations about these things, but it's tricky. It's complicated. You know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to be said about it. I have a lot of thoughts about all this shit. I just, I guess I don't always feel like I have the right platform or avenue to discuss them or opportunity. I've always felt like one of the things that like, so I've never really identified with being white. So I've never just, in my head, it's never been a thought that like, I'm white. Like when people talk about white people, I'm never like, oh, they're talking about me. It just is what it is. Like that's the way that I re- inside of myself. That's what. Go- but that's, that's part of your your journey. Like so, how you was raised in a way, right? Like, but if there's a if there's a job for white people to do, I'm down for that. Like I'm here for that. Mm. I want to have those conversations because you shouldn't have to. Like I want to have those conversations with white people because of the training and experience that I've been given. Because you should not have to do that along with all the other things that you're doing. You should just be like live life and not have to do that stuff. But you know, I don't know what to say about it even other than what I just said in terms of how it feels. It feels sometimes it feels lonely. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like it 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 sometimes you feel like, you know, you're you're doing a fool's errand, you know, because you know what your intention is and but you know what the reality of the situation is too. But I don't know if it's anybody's responsibility to do anything about that. Like, that's my choice. Like, and it's sometimes it's a dumb choice. And sometimes I will write about how it's a dumb choice. But I think I keep making it because there's something deep down I believe in about what this music should be, you know? And and even though I think the percentage of Black youth that are going to be exposed to is probably smaller than ever, I do think deep down that's just, that's always going to be part of my motivation. I wonder how many of us, like, I, I, I'm saying this because I suspect it's almost all of us. And when I say us, I mean people who, as you put it, are operating in the shadows to a large extent. I wonder how many of us have this feeling that, like, when I'm dead in the future, they will recognize. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. <laughs> they'll, they'll dig this up and they'll realize who I am. Because I'm saying, like, for as much as people are, like, circulating these clips of James Baldwin now in 2022, James Baldwin felt like he was writing, like most of the people that bought his books were white. And James Baldwin was constantly in rooms full of white people, giving them that business, giving them that work. And, you know, like that was, that's, that's the way that he felt. I'm saying, like, man, I've had this conversation with Pasta News. And like you're saying, like you've been in those rooms. I'm saying to a large extent, Pasta News and Public Enemy and, and like, you know, Kuali and like so many of the people that we would look at as like, this is like the epicenter of like pro-Black, Afro, like the, you know, whether it's Native Tongues or the generation after, you know, a lot of times, like Common said, when we perform, it's just coffee house chicks and white dudes. Live and direct when we perform, it's just coffee shop chicks and white dudes. Over her, I got into it with that nigga Ice Cube. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how they were feeling. So I, I wanted to be, so when I'm like, what, what world did I want to be in? In my head, I wanted to be in the okay player world. You know what I'm saying? And I kept hollering at little brother, like, hey, man, let's go on tour together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And little brother was just like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> I still do that to little brother. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And I'm saying, you talking about you talking about greats that are operating in the shadows. Like, my Fonte is one of the greatest that ever did this thing. They say taste the truth all 
days all praise is due Party people in the place is true Sure as the skies are a baby blue With no clouds or a trace of dew The lost days of my hazy youth Where I paid my dues And my niggas used to raise the roof And move units out of state On some real independent shit Straight out the trunk like Ray And, and I'm saying, and, and like we, we know enough to know that like There's Drake, and Drake's amazing And none to take anything away from Drake But like for every Drake there's a Fonte Coleman just over here being dope and making it making enough to feed his family and hoping that when he dies, somebody realizes that Drake wasn't all there was. What did you have like a did you ever have like a I wish I could be in that world? Like was it was it the okay player thing? Uh I mean, honestly, legitimately native tongues, even though it wouldn't make any sense timeline-wise, like that was a dream, like a really a dream of mine. And I think by extension, Okay, players, soul Aquarians, all of that. Because to me, that all felt like fruit from that same tree. So yeah, definitely always wanted to be a part of that. I always wanted to be a part of Project Blow. That's part of why I brought my ass all the way out here. But the funny thing about that is I didn't really understand what Blow was before I got here. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what... What does it mean to be part of? <laughs> like, do they give you a jacket? Is there a chain? Is there like a ceremony? No, it's more like being part of a gang. <laughs> it's really or, or or they just stop. Do they just stop fronting on you and and let you be around without getting roasted? Yeah, basically. And and I was really trying to embed myself, and that meant I had to have every argument. I've had I had arguments with AC alone, arguments with Abru, arguments with LA Cool, where like I. I put myself in harm's way for this shit. And I had to, because I wasn't going to leave. I wasn't going to leave. And I needed them to understand that I wasn't going to leave. You could front on me in any way other than outright disrespect. You could be snobby. You could be distrustful of me because I'm not from around here. I get all of that, but I ain't going nowhere. I came to understand very quickly that even their idea of what dope was was different than the one I came out here with. But for me, it was about challenging myself to acquire those skills so that I could also be an adept at this this fighting style and I'm not and, and that's still a journey for me because I don't I don't chop like they chop like that and and because I I come from Chicago where that was looked at as a different thing so I had a resistance to it but and you're from the south side you're not from the west side exactly exactly and that's a whole nother thing because the west the west side is that the west side is exactly. you know what i mean and the south side is not that the south side is snapping yeah man tw- the twisting. south side is yes yeah. kanye and juice and rhymefest and like to the projects and the way they tore them all up like when i do a project and come back and tear them all up from the south 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 side of the bronze the cars the half moons the stars i'm like jeff Fort, the way i get behind that's my home, and we was all punchlines. That's all, and 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 I, in a way, I kind of brought that to the blowed in some ways. Like I brought punchlines, and, and luckily, like my generation of Project Blow, which is you know, no can do, dumbfounded, satire, swim team, customer service. Like we were more on that because we we were influenced by blowed, but also influenced by like the outsiders. You know what I'm saying? Like we was listening to all of this stuff. So like. You know, it was also like as 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 it was in the bloat about styles. It was also about similes and metaphors, and you know all of that too. So you know, I, I definitely gave my pound of flesh to be part of this and learned a lot, and still learn a lot in the process. Was there a particular person in the bloat that like like from the like the Mount Rushmore of Project Bloat? Was there a particular one that spoke to you as like the the like I love all of these. I love all of Wu Tang, but Ghostface is the dude. You know what I'm saying? Was there was there somebody like that in the blow? I mean, AC alone was like the beacon for me. You know what I'm saying? Like hearing his music in Chicago and like pouring over his liner notes and trying to understand who Mike and I was and Abstract Root was and like, you know, book a human language. That's the shit that really brought me to LA. Is his shit. I can't wait to hear that your episode with Micah Nine. He's like one of the most intriguing figures to me. It was it was a hell of a talk, man. We should wind this one down though, because we're gonna get to yours. Okay. <laughs> I know. I feel like you already started it, but like, quick shout to people who are go- who haven't heard your podcast yet, because then we're gonna talk on that in just a second. But just let people know what it, what it is that you're doing. Yeah, so the the traveler it's called the Travelers Podcast. Um, the company that me and BK One put together is called Travelers Media for my for my, the stuff that's coming out. And the idea is that 
um, we're co-travelers in the journey of life. And so we have things like the things that speak to me and help me connect with people are spirituality, specifically Islam, art and culture, specifically hip hop, and, you know, trying to make the world a better place, specifically activism, organizing, like th these are like the worlds that I'm embedded in that I like try to find meaning and do good things and connect with people on those. But so it, it, like all of these amazing people that I know, yourself included, um, the goal is for me to talk to them about on a heart level, where's this all coming from? So like, you know, so we could, we could talk about um, form and we could talk about, uh, you know, the, the technicality of things. And it'd be easy, like, you know, I'm about to talk to Pharaoh. So, like, it'd be easy to talk to Pharaoh much about, like, the technicalities of, like, how did you do these syllables? And, like, what's your breathing technique here? And how do you do, you know? But for me, what's, what's most interesting and what I think is most valuable is, like, on a heart level, what does this mean to you? What's bringing this out of you? What have you learned along the way? Like, what is it taught? Like, it's just, like, these things are, are things that allow us, allow human beings to, regardless of the what we have in common or not, allow us to really witness the human condition and journey in another person. I, I was talking with Dave Chappelle over the summer, like right right before coming, like coming here and starting this. And Dave was like, you know, the thing is that, that talking to people about what we believe in, and some people might find this odd because they some people don't think that that's what Dave did, has been has done lately. But I know this is his intention because we talked about these like we can talk about different perspectives in life as long as we always are deeply rooted in like sh the shared humanity of it all. You know what I mean? Like as long as we're communicating on that level, we don't have to agree. And like, we shouldn't agree. Like we're not going to all have the same. But he's like, you know, he's like, you have your perspective. You know what I mean? He's like, you sit in a room full of white people and are whiter than all of the rest. You're the whitest <laughs> of the whites. And somehow you're the blackest motherfucker I know. <laughs> but, but he's like, you know, he's like, you're speaking as a human being to a room full of human beings. And that's the connection. And that's why it works. That's the idea behind the, uh, the podcast. But, you know, it really, 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 like, I have to say this and I can't emphasize it. I can never overemphasize it. I can't, there's not a way to exaggerate it. It really is like seeing you specifically do it is what made me want to do it. I love Reggie Osei. I love, you know, so many of the podcasts and hip hop. Kwali is like so amazingly prefatorial at it. Like he's coming at it like Gil Noble, like he's trying to, you know, give the this is your life in a podcast form. This is your career, which is so amazing. But like you always have spoken to people on a heart level. And so that you 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 really are the uh, the inspiration for it man that's an honor to hear and i look forward to speaking to you on it you know i didn't ask all the questions i have for you so i'm gonna sneak a few in over there too yeah let's do that Bye.